Welcome back, Chelsea fans, to another episode of the Romans Empire podcast. My name is Zach, and today we are missing Sam. But good news, we have the birthday boy in the building, uh, Mr. Venezuela himself, <laughs> Andres Velasco. Happy JT year, buddy. Yeah, I'm back. I was bummed out to miss last week, but I'm here. I'm a lot wiser now that I've gone into my JT year. And uh, yeah, I'm ready to, to talk some Chelsea again. It's like been built up now two weeks without me recording. It's just like, I feel like, you know, a guy, like a crackhead waiting for his next fix. So, wow. <laughs> <laughs> That's the reference that you feel on your 26th birthday, huh? I, I'm like tweaking, like I'm just fiddling, like I, I need to like click my pen, just like biting my nails. I'm ready to go. I mean, if anyone's tweaking, I think it's me. I'm currently having a double espresso. It's 8.30 at night. Like, well, what's wrong go. with me? Yeah, I don't know. I want to play FIFA. That's what it is. Um, but anyways, I mean, dude, big week last week. Um, I don't I don't know how to explain how I feel about the week as a whole, but um, let's just get right into the West Ham game so we can just fuck off with all this negativity, right? Early on in the podcast. Let's just get it let's, over with. Yeah, we'll end on a high note. So starting lineup for the West Ham match, I'm not going to go over the score because uh, I, I don't want to revisit that. Um, Kepa in goal. We got James on the right. Zuma and Tomori uh, as our two center backs. Emerson restored to his spot on the left. Um, a midfield double pivot. Jorginho and Kovacic. Mason Mount playing the number 10. Pulisic on the left. Oh, man. Pedro Rodriguez. On the right, and Mr. Olivier Giroud up top. So, first things first, let's talk about Ali Giroud and Pedro. Let's do it. You saw their names on the team sheets. What went through your mind? Oh, man. First off, I was like, Pe- Pedro is, is like healthy and on the active roster. I, we haven't seen his name in so long that I legitimately thought he was part of you know the injured crew with Rudiger and Loftus-Cheek. Like, he has, his name has not crossed my mind. His name has not been one that I've been asking for. I He was the forgotten man for me, to be honest. Now, in terms of Giroud, for him, I thought, you know, maybe this is the kind of game we need. He's a big physical guy. We're playing, you know, a lower-end team that's going to be physical. Reese James is known for his crosses, so maybe that'll work out to our advantage. But Wait, Reese James could cross? A, one, a Chelsea fullback that can cross. I know <laughs> it is everything that we've been asking for for years. And it's honestly, even after today, I'm still shocked that we have a guy that can put in such a good ball into the box. But we can get into Reese James's brilliance later. What I wanted to focus on was the lack of any brilliance from these two players. And just honestly, Pedro... Like again, he was the forgotten man. I was just more disappointed with Giroud's uh, performance. Just thought that, you know, he just didn't bring anything to the table. And I expected better from somebody that had recently made his mark as the kind of reliable super sub or, you know, doesn't play every week. But when he does play, he's like, you know, why aren't you playing every week? Like, just didn't get any, any of that. Well, well, you get this perception of both of these guys being like those trusty, battle-hardened veterans that have been around the block that would be able to be stopgaps or squad players. I think the reality is our squad from top to bottom is not good enough. Um, I, I, I think we I think we rode the wave of our momentum and the wave of positivity that Lampard has breathed new life into our club, right? And I just think the whole squad has rode that for so long. And I've been saying it all year. I'm not getting too ahead of myself with this Chelsea squad because I want to see what they're made of when things go against them. And and this match was the epitome of that. Now, when I saw Ali Giroud and Pedro's name on the team sheet, Andres, I, I'm not kidding. I, I have Bleacher Report's team stream, right? So I, I, I woke up right before kickoff because kickoff was early in the morning. It was at 6 a.m. And um, I pull out my phone. I see the notification. I click on it. Pops up. And the first name I see is Pedro's. And I'm thinking, okay, maybe this is from last year? Because I saw I saw Kovacic and Jorginho. I'm like, all right, maybe, maybe this is last year. 
So I started refreshing my stream and nothing happened. Then I looked at the rest of the lineup. I'm like, oh my God, these guys are actually starting. Now, I think the difference between the way I went into this and the way you went into this is that the second I saw their names on the team sheet, I thought to myself, this is going to be a long day. We're going to have no creativity on the right-hand side. We're going to have no point of reference up top. And that's the thing. Normally, guys like Olivier Giroud especially, he is the point of reference. Like He's your prototypical target man, right, in every sense. But we talked about it before when, when we brought his name up a few times, actually. And we said that this is probably the end of him at Chelsea because his playing style, his athleticism – the way he plays football and the way teams need to be constructed in order for him to be successful does not include the high press. It does not include fast buildups. And it doesn't it, it and it's not high octane for 90 minutes like Lampard's going for. It's just he's just the wrong type of player. Now the big question yeah. here is why didn't he pick Batshuayi? Uh, I don't know, man. I I want to think that it might be just a little bit of man management. Just, mm-hmm. you know, we got to get these guys through January. Like, let's let's be realistic. Both these guys, I believe, are in contract years. And, you know, we're going to take any offer probably for either of these guys. Simple as that. I, I, I believe that tomorrow we get a final decision on the cast situation, which could, you know, just open up Pandora's box as to what Chelsea can do in January. But... To me, I think Lampard just kind of threw them a bone. It's December. We have a ridiculous load of matches coming up. And, I mean, Bideshwai played today against West Ham. So, yeah. I, I don't think it's it's a I, – I really think it's what I was thinking ahead of it. You know, if we're going to be putting crosses in, maybe Giroud can get his head on, on one of these things. Or maybe he can bring it down and play Mount or – Pulisic onto a first time shot because he is kind of a you know we talk about him being more of a a distributor or or kind of a a facilitator in that sense but it it just didn't work and then in terms of Pedro you know we talk about Pedro being a hard worker and all this but I've never seen a a lazier Pedro man Uh, he was never coming back Mm-hmm. to to support and then today with William who as a player you know I, I'm not always on his side but then comparing and contrasting West Ham versus Aston Villa there was never a a kind of shot where the camera was following the ball where on our right side I didn't see both Reese James and William and that's so important for the way we play and, and just for mm-hmm. Pedro to isolate such a young player and such a back line overall because, again, we had a Jorginho Kovacic double pivot at this point. Conte wasn't there to, to yeah. clean clean house. It, it was just – you're smarter than that. You're in your 30s. You've done it all. Like you you got to be a little less selfish and, and realize what you're doing here. So, yeah, it's just – I mean, I, I really think that the reason they were on the sheet was more of a, oh, you know, this West Ham team is struggling. We have – a much more competitive game against Aston Villa coming up. We've played a lot of football recently. Throw these two guys in there. It's, you know, not a big deal. Everybody else will pick up their slack. And and unfortunately, it just created such a disconnect. Like, Pedro was not in the same page as anybody on that pitch. And and, he, and Giroud was worse. Because Giroud is like the, like we said, the final target man the, where the yeah. ball ends up. The crosses would go in and he was never near any of them. But There's always you, one step behind. But but this is this is a moment where we could take a step back and, and um, reassess our expectations on the season, right? Um, we are a young team, and yeah. we do have a mi- we have a very odd mix of really old players, players that are in their that are approaching their primes, like Jorginho and Kovacic, or already in their primes. And then we have really young players that are probably nowhere near their potential yet. And I am talking about Reese James and Tammy and Cho, Mason Mount, Pulisic, but I mean, those guys, those guys have the world ahead of them, right? Right. Um, but 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 I think in terms of reassessing our season as a whole, we could go on and criticize the players all we want, but who does this really come down to? Starting Olivier Giroud and Pedro, 
it comes down to Frank Lampard, right? And I'm not gonna, right. I, I'm not slating him. I'm, you know, I'm, I, I don't want to get anybody's thoughts twisted. Frank is like basically my dad at this point, um, so I would never talk shit about him. But, but, but he got it wrong. Yeah, he got and, it wrong. You know, as a, as a veteran, as a, as a, not a veteran coach, but as an experienced footballer, someone of his class and his level, his ilk, all the different managers he's worked under, he should have some sort of knowledge of. Okay, if I'm going to start these two guys, are they going to be up the pace? Frank did say, and he said it multiple times this season also, he starts based on how he he sets his lineups based on how his players You're train. Practicing. If right. you train well, you get the start. There was zero evidence of Olivier Giroud or Pedro having an ounce of match sharpness going into the game. Now, Olivier Giroud, I feel bad about. Because I knew from the beginning out that that was never going to work. It, right. it, it just wasn't. It wasn't the right mix for him. It's the wrong system. We all knew he's gone. Pedro was the one player where you're like, okay, possibly he could be a stopgap. Maybe he could take us through the first hour before bringing on Cho or William to see what happens. I thought it was interesting that Cho didn't even get to start. Now, maybe he's not training as well. I mean, there, there's just a lot of there's a lot of factors going into this, and nobody really knows what's happening. But my point is, Frank Lampard did get it wrong, and he's a young coach, and he's going to learn. And, right, and yeah. that's this is part of the process. Definitely. And I, and I think to take it one step further, I don't think Frank even got it right within the game either. Yeah. Uh, you know, we're, we're down a goal, and, you know, based on how the game was going, there was – the, the first sub, that just made me question what the hell is going on. And, and I know you disagree with me here, but it was the taking out Jorginho. And I'm trying to remember off the top of my head who was coming on. Um, oh, my God. Conte. Yeah, it was, it was just Jorginho for Conte. You're right. So at that point. Conte sitting in at that point. Right. And Kovacic so, was going haywire. So my thing was we're – obviously West Ham is defending with their life at this point. You know, we're, we're trying to come in, we're trying to equalize, we're trying to get a, a, an eventual lead. And at this point in the match, I talk about how our front kind of four was incompetent. I believe that William was already on for Pedro at this point. Mm -hmm. So he was already taken care of. But I think that the right move would have been to take out Mount, who at this point, nothing was going for him. And, Again, that may be part, partly because his partner up front in, in Giroud was just not connecting with him. It might have just been an off game for Mount. I think people are too quick to, to just say that Mount's worthless. But I just thought that he just hasn't, hasn't, wasn't having no. his best game. I, he just, I, don't, I don't buy into that. Okay, okay. We, we, we argued about this after the game, though. I don't, think, I don't think Mason Mount had a terrible game. I thought he was one of the only players out there that looked like he gave a shit. Yeah, he was overcompensating a bit, but I'd rather have somebody out there that's that that's working their fucking ass off, running around like a crazy person, closing down, uh, closing down the opposition when they have possession, trying to create chances. I just don't think it was his day, but I don't think he had a bad game per se. Like I didn't see him, I didn't see him making terrible decisions on the ball or, or, or shitting away clear goal scoring opportunities. You know what I mean? Yeah, no. And, and that's not what I'm saying. I think again, partially, I think it was that playing behind Giroud wasn't working for him because mm -hmm. since Giroud was lacking movement, everybody was pressing Mount way too fast for him to do anything with the ball. My thing was, if that's not working, go switch things up, go to a four, three, three, take out Mount or take out Pedro at this point. I think Pedro was actually still in whoever it is. You put Mount in the wing because he can give you that energy and that high pressing. And you bring, you bring Conte into a midfield three. And that, that allows you to switch things up a bit because you don't have mm -hmm. to work through a number 10. You put, you, you let Jorginho stay on the pitch and kind of keep some calm because the big thing that I mentioned, and again, we discussed this before, but the moment Jorginho came off the pitch, there was, zero organization, zero mm -hmm. leadership. And let me look at you. You put the stats here. We had 39 crosses this match. I'm mm -hmm. pretty sure that at least 25 of those were at the last, at the end of the game when there was no true striker because Giroud was taken off for Cho. So had you kept Jorginho's leadership on the pitch, again, remember, there's no Aspie on the pitch. Conte is not the most vocal guy. Kovacic is not the most vocal guy. And Giroud is off the pitch. 
you keep Jorginho in to, to bring a sense of calm and, and just someone to let them know, hey, our game is going to get get us to where we need to go. Not just piling on crosses to a bunch of skinny sub-6-2 wingers into a box filled with sub-6-2. Let's try sub-5-11, 5-10. Yeah. I mean – I understand. I understand your point, right? I mean, Mount could play out wide. It, it was. It was definitely an option to Seen bring Conte on. But yeah, yeah, of course. And he's done well out there. I'll be the first to admit. But after the match, they asked Frank about you know not bringing on Batshuayi in, this, in, in at the end of the game when we needed a goal. And Frank said, you know, well they were defending our crosses really well, so I wanted to a- attack them differently. Now I know we still crossed it to their first man every single time, even after we made all those subs. But wouldn't moving Mason out wide, uh, Mason Mount out wide, just achieve the same exact thing? Because he's not necessarily Frank. Frank wanted a different point of attack. He wanted a focal point to run up the middle of the pitch, and I think that's what he was getting at. Because they were giving us the wings. Willian had who? Who, who was our left back? Frederick, or, or I'm, I'm sorry, uh, Cresswell. Cresswell. Yeah, Cresswell. Willian must have burned Cresswell at least two or three times at that end of that match and had opportunities to play perfect balls into the box but didn't. I think Mason Mount would have done much of the same, to be completely honest, especially at the end of the game. I, so, I see it different because we, we – I've said this a bajillion times. Willian makes a move and goes to his right foot, and as a right winger, that puts him in a wide position. Mm-hmm. Mount is always looking to go back inside. Mount is not a true winger. He's an inside forward. I could have seen a lot more overlapping – passes with Reese James and getting Reese James involved a lot more, which could have ended up with a cross or eventually the defender bites and it lets Mount get in the middle. I, I honestly just think that when you took Jorginho out and everyone was running around like there was six seconds left on the clock and somebody had to hit the game winning far, I don't know, three pointer or everything had to be a hail Mary. It just seemed like, erratic it seemed desperate and that's not our game and that's yeah. not how we're gonna get a goal and that was my thing like yeah. i get it that he wanted to switch something and maybe taking Giroud out would have worked but there was no need to take out Jorginho. and that was my big issue is that for for what was going on and how the team was acting you needed a calming presence somebody to just be like no 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 there's plenty of time in the clock like we're, we're, you can only score one goal at a time. So that's the other thing. Like, focus on the first one. Like I said, it felt like everybody was just trying to get two goals in one play. So yeah. that was my big frustration. It was We just yeah. made their life so easy. There was no creativity. There was no, let's break down this defense. It was just like, put your head down, dribble, put a ball into the box. And I, I, I know that's not what Lampard wanted, but yeah. it was a, a, rea- it was a, a direct reaction. Uh, effect of his decision to take out Jorginho, in my opinion. I don't understand why he wouldn't pull Pedro in that situation, throw Batshuayi up top, and play a 4-4-2 diamond with Pulisic at the 10. Maybe something like that would have worked. Or you could have played with... And you could still put Mount in a box-to-box role. Yeah, yeah. Or you could play a regular 4-4-2, and you could put Mount out wide, high and wide, and have Pulisic on the opposite flank, and just have them running off of Giroud's flicks with Batshuayi up top. There was was a lot of different ways I would have gone about making those changes. And I I think it's interesting that we're starting to see this with Frank. He's not becoming so predictable anymore in terms of his team selection, in terms of his substitutions. I think he's mixing things up, and and it's clear he's learning on the fly. I mean, I, I'm looking at the league table right now, and I see the top, <laughs> I see the top, uh, the top four. We got Liverpool, Leicester, and Man City. They all have higher than plus twenty three goal differential cumulative, right? Chelsea has plus nine in fifth, in in fourth, and Wolverhampton is in fifth with plus four. So. I mean, I, I I think Frank sees something and wants to get wants to squeeze that extra ten percent out of his team, especially at this point in the season, where we could really start to pull away and dictate who's going to make the top four. And I think this was one of those matches where he kind of looked at the situation, said, "Okay, if this comes off, I'll look like an absolute genius, and we'll get the result. If it doesn't, we could just chalk it off the bad day at the office." And that's what was kind of frustrating for me throughout the, th- th- throughout the whole match was 
you know, we want it, 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 it. It's kind of it's a conundrum. It's a mental conundrum, Andres. You know why? Because we love Frank and we love Chelsea, but we don't want to say anything bad about them at the same time. Right. So it's right. like, so you're just caught in two minds. But no, I mean, going back to what you said about uh, about putting Mason Mount out wide. I thought that would have been an option today, and I was thinking about it on my way home from work today. I know, funnily enough, on my way home from work, but a guy like Ross Barkley, who could have been an asset to this squad, would have been ideal for this match because we wouldn't have seen Pedro's face. We probably would have had Mason Mount playing out wide and Ross Barkley filling in that third midfield role, and we would have had a decent amount of creativity on the pitch as opposed to just completely wasting that right-hand side and having absolutely nothing up top because – Pedro didn't have any pace. He doesn't have any pace anymore. It's shocking. I mean, like, we said last year that it's starting to look like, oh, maybe it's sorry. System's not working for him. No, I just think Pedro's long gone. But anyways, I do want to move on. I don't want to talk about – Wait, wait. One one more thing. Um, yeah. Based on what you were talking about and how it just looked like Frank did something on a whim. Mm-hmm. Um, you talked about him wanting to – he mentioned saying something along the lines of, I want to try something different. It's okay to try something different if you've prepared for that situation before. Like, whenever Mourinho would put Ivanovic up top because we need to go late, you could tell that's something that they had worked on in practice. That yeah. was not the case when you took out Giroud and you put Polisic in a false nine situation. And they even asked him, like, oh, could that be a possibility in the future? And it's like, oh, you know, maybe. It's like, uh, I'd rather not. <laughs> it didn't look comfortable. It, you know... In the Premier League, you need a false nine that has a, a, a stronger build than that. Like you need a, a Firmino-sized player or an Aguero-sized player, so or even Jesus, like somebody with a little bit more bulk to handle that sort of pressure. So, uh, agree to disagree with Frank on that call about oh, you know, we could see this again later. I just think that the way we play, you need a traditional number nine. So I'm glad that now that we move on to the next game. Tammy was able to to make an appearance again. Okay, so before we move on, Andres, let's let's rethink our expectations. It's, what are you thinking for the season? Yeah, I, I, mean, I mean, I I think I've like kept it the same. I I think mm-hmm. you, you get top four and you make a run at the FA Cup. Like I don't, you know, it, it's a pipe dream. Like, can we be a threat in the Champions League? Sure, we can. Anybody can be a threat. Ajax proved that last year. Hell, Spurs proved that last year. Now they're mid-table side. So it's one of those things where, like, you can get a lucky draw and do something like that. Mm-hmm. I I don't – again, last – the way – we learned from what happened with Sorry. We started flying colors. We're going to win the league, and we've won the most games in a row, and we're the last team in Europe to lose a game, and then shit hit the fan. So I'm sticking to just get top four. Top yeah. four is a minimum. You get top four. We have our transfer windows back. You have a young team to build around. It is a wanted destination again because it's a good feeling is back with Chelsea. And all these kids that once were Chelsea fans are now grown-ass of athletes that are world-class talents. Like The upside is there if we get top four. I'm, I'm not saying that we're in the title race because we're not. As of right now, we're almost 20 points behind Liverpool. And we still have to play, I believe, Tottenham and Arsenal. You got to play them Yeah, twice. we play them. We play, oh, and we play them both this month. December is a, a mess. And while I'm saying all this, just the Chelsea side, you have a Man City team that's pissed off. You have a Leicester City team that made a deal with the devil and you just – somehow still win every game with the exact same starters like zero rotation involved and they play like they haven't put like you know that they're fresh every week and then of course liverpool who are just liverpool right now they're just it's just there's everything's going well for them so if so we can top, stick top, top four, four top four in a cup and, and a cup is a, a cup nice run. bonus cup run yeah. yeah cup run get us to the quarters get us to the get us involved in in two games a week until at least april that's yeah. that's all I'm asking for. I'm I'm on exactly the same page. And and you go to Chelsea Twitter and it tells you a different story. I mean, you would think the world is almost ending as usual per Twitter um, in in usual fashion. But yeah, I mean, top four is definitely within reach. Now, the interesting thing is you mentioned earlier, 
the cast appeal. What happens with that? And if if we get our ban overturned or we're allowed to purchase players in January, what do you go after? I think I think that's the interesting conversation that we need to have. Maybe we should do a pod special after the cast appeal. Who knows? Um, <laughs> But anyways, I do want to move on to Aston Villa. So um, last week when you weren't here, Andres, I mentioned how I missed the previous four Chelsea games due to prior engagements and different plans that I had. I had to watch them all recorded. (laughs) This was much of the same. So the only Chelsea game I got to watch in the last four weeks, was live at least, was the West Ham one. And we lost. (laughs) And we lost. And today (laughs) it looked like this match was tons of fun and we won. So yeah. uh, let's just get right into the starting lineups. We had a uh, Keppa in goal, Jay, uh, Reese James on the right, Aspi on the left, Zuma and Andreas Christensen as our center backs, Kovacic and Conte manning the midfield uh, in, in a double pivot role, Mason Mount at the ten, Pulisic on the left, William on the right, Tammy up top. My God, that has to be our best front four at the moment, doesn't it? It picks itself. Yeah, yeah, it does. So, I mean, let's start with uh, Mr. Obvious, Reese James. Oh, my God. So I'm just going to go through his stats, okay? Because uh, I'm looking at the script here, and you wrote this. He goes, Reese James crosses, wow, cream in my pants. So I think that, t- <laughs> I think that pretty much tells the story, right? Like, uh, against West Ham, 93% pass completion rate, 8 out of 10 dribbles, 8 Four out of four aerials, one, one tackle, two interceptions, much of the same against Villa, um, 88% pass completion, two of two out of three aerial duels, one, two tackles, one, three clearances, and might I say, probably the nicest assist we've seen since Jorginho's curler to Tammy against Watford. I was about to say, if you don't say that Jorginho's is still better, I, I'm logging out. No, 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 no. Jorginho's is still way better. <laughs> that, that that was pass of the season for me. Um, but but I mean, we're looking at Reese James's performances as a whole, right? We've had this ongoing issue with uh, half of the Chelsea fan base hopping off the Aspie bandwagon. Half of us, the loyal ones, still staying on it. Now he's moved on to the left, and Aspie looks reborn. He looks revitalized. And Reese James just looks like the complete and total footballer. Yes, Cresswell spun him for the first goal against West Ham. Yes, he did lose his marker in uh, in the second goal uh, or, or in Villa's first goal today. But you're looking at his performance as a whole. He is arguably our most dangerous player on the pitch. Especially when he takes up those narrow positions right at the corner of the 18-yard box where he can just play that clipped ball and similar to, similarly to what he did with Tammy today. It is absolutely brilliant. We finally have a fullback that can find blue shirts. We haven't had that in years. What do you think? Oh, man. So uh, before I just wax lyrical about Reese James, I had said before that I thought that once Reese James kind of claimed the right side, that moving Aspie to the left would bring kind of just a lot more balance to this side. And I think today was the perfect example of that. So you have on the right side two very hardworking guys with pace that can cover that whole flank in William and, and, and Reese James. That side is covered. Whether one guy steps too far up, the other guy has their back. Now on the other side, usually you have their Emerson or Alonzo who are a lot more uh, marauding they like to go up but they've never been the best positionally in in the defensive side or getting back to the right place and on top of that you have Pulisic on the left wing as of recent and the big concerns with him earlier this year was also his defensive work rate by adding Aspie on the left you kind of kill two birds with one stone there you solidify defensively what you can do there you allow Pulisic to stay a little bit further forward than he usually does Mm-hmm. And it just lets everybody do what they're better at. It's kind of like how uh, whenever Ashley Cole went out, we put Aspie on the left to allow Hazard to stay forward. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying Pulisic is Hazard, but what I'm saying is that there was just so much cohesion 
in both flanks this game. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that was that, that this is something that I thought could happen because, again, Al- Alonso can have his purple patches, and Emerson started the season phenomenally, but they're both average. Like spade is a spade. They're both average. A left back is a position that we should be looking to improve immediately. Yeah. Well, so, I, I'm looking. I'm looking at the whole Reese James thing. And, you know, I look back earlier in the season and I would be the first to admit where I was kind of skeptical, not of his talent, but skeptical of him overtaking Aspie this early. Just because Aspie is is probably what? What is he? One of the most proven defenders in Europe at this point, no? At least in the fullback position. So I'm thinking Reese James wasn't going to get in anywhere near this side. Now, to see a young player like that hit the ground running you got to take a look at him and think what his potential could be. So what, where, where is his potential? What could it be? What are you thinking? I'm thinking that for the next 10 years, England is going to have the biggest headache selecting a right back because as of now, it's been like, Oh, Trent Alexander Arnold is, is made this his own. And I think that Reese James is right up there with him in terms Mm -hmm. of what he can do at right back. Like the guy's got it all. For one, extremely calm on the ball. The crosses are phenomenal. The tackling, like the the, the composure to, to do the strong tackles, to body someone, it's already there at a young age. He's tactically flexible, so even if he maybe not doesn't get the start there, he can get a start at center back or a defensive center mid. Oh, my God. It's just – I was talking about – I remember last season we talked about how I always like I love Joshua Kimmich. Like if, if there's yeah. a right back out there, he is my favorite right back and, and the guy can play in multiple positions. And I remember even saying, Oh, you know, maybe under sorry, I believe I'm Purdue played right back once. I thought it would be great to have a player like that who can do the work, get up the flank, get the crosses in, but he can also kind of drift centrally and, and plug some holes in transition, do a little bit of everything. And that's what Reese James is. I didn't know enough about Reese James that early into last season. Obviously, the the, the loan to Wigan really brought it to light. But man, I I can't I don't want to see a team where he doesn't start. Like I don't. Yeah. And this isn't this isn't me saying Aspie go to the bench. I'm just saying put Aspie on the left and give Reese James the right side. Get him get him some games because those crosses from the right side. Once our front three, front four, kind of now adapt to it because we haven't had that the, the goals are going to keep coming we know where the ball they're, they're going to learn where the ball is going to land mm-hmm. because it's not going to hit the first man and it's going to be floated or driven correctly depending on the situation and and just having that like right now football is a fullbacks game if you have controlling fullbacks that can join the attack seamlessly there is so much more you can do so yeah. His, I, his presence benefits not only what we bring in to what goes into the box. Our wingers are, will have more space. The, the, the quick one-two passes and, and interconnection between the winger, the, the number 10 player, and the right back is just going to be wild. Yeah. It's just so much more that, that the team can unlock with a player of Reese James's potential. And heck, even at his current level. It's bringing a new phase to to our Chelsea side. I like I like the patterns that Frank uh, and and who knows if this is Frank's thing or if it's just uh you know a, a combination of the two players. But having having Reese James and William on the right hand side, you talked about their defensive attributes. In terms of the attack, when William plays on the right, he likes to stick out wide and he likes to play balls in the box like a crazy person, right? And that works perfectly for Reese James because. He's not your prototypical full overlapping fullback. He's an underlapping fullback. If you look at the positions he takes up when we're deep in the attacking third, he tucks inside. William goes out wide. And, and, and you saw it in that first goal. William played him the ball from a wide position. Reese James receives it. Corner of the 18. Pretty narrow. And oh, Andres, that first touch that he took. I know people talk about the cross. But... He took a first touch and planted his foot at the same time. So, like, he controlled the ball and was basically already in the crossing motion. Like, the technical ability he has at his age, especially for an English fullback, which is not something that you necessarily associate with, is brilliant, isn't it? Like, 
having someone of that ilk and that type of class at this young of an age, and, and this is why I asked you, where is his potential? Out of all the youngsters we have, I think he could be one of the most naturally talented. If you're looking at his, at his body, his physical attributes, and his technical ability, he is probably, arguably, our most talented youngster. And, I, and I'm Team Tammy all the way. I still think Team Tammy's the best. But Reese James is looking like the most talented at the moment. The guy, the guy could literally do it all. And he's already looking like a title-winning fullback. He, the way he's playing is is similar to the type of talent that a title-winning fullback plays with. Seriously. And I'm not overreacting. I don't think I am. Like, yeah, I'm not comparing him to, to, to Trent Alexander-Arnold and, and Andy Robertson yet. But he's getting there. He's almost there. And it's crazy. And like Frank said, it, we're, we're coming. Like, he is he is seeing all this stuff come to fruition in training, and then we're seeing it translate into the matches. And and he's just he's become so reliable. And I think that's the thing that surprises me the most about this Chelsea team as a whole. We look at our young players, and we expected so many more dips in form, so many bad games. We yeah. expected more bad decisions with them on the ball, off the ball, more defensive errors. And it's our experienced players that are the ones messing up. Pedro at fault for the West Ham goal. Right. Right. Um, you're looking at the combination of Zuma and Christensen at center back. They lead goals left and right. We're looking at guys like Ross Barkley fall flat on his face time and time again for Chelsea. Jeez. You know, we're seeing Olivier. We're seeing Olivier Giroud not get any playing time, but we're seeing all these young players be the players that the rest of the team is leaning on to pull out results. And that's exactly what we saw today. Now, I think it's worth noting we do need to move on because you know we could talk about Reese James all day. But I want to talk about Tammy Abraham and having oh, him you back. you do? Shocking. And the type of <laughs> – right? The type of impact that this guy has when he's on the pitch is just unbelievable. Both goals – and I and I meant, we talked about it before the pod. Both goals that we scored today came off similar crosses and similar build-up patterns, Right? That yep. awkward diagonal clip into the box where it doesn't really have a lot of pace on it, but it has whip and height. And it was just the perfect height for Tammy Abraham to smash the first one in. That second goal, no different. Very similar buildup, except the only difference is Tammy's back is to goal, showing you how complete of a fucking striker he is at 21 years old. Plays that ball off the chest, Mason Mount just laces it into the top into the top of the net. Now you know, against West Ham, it's obvious he was missing. We needed him, and and I think that highlighted how important he actually is to the squad and how important he is for Frank's team. And when you take Tammy Abraham out of the lineup, you realize that Frank has built our attack specifically to suit Tammy. Yeah, apples and oranges between the West Ham game and this Aston Villa game. Those mm-hmm. those same crosses were going in on the weekend, and nobody was there. Tammy, while he only got one goal, there was like six chances. And he knew he had those chances. <laughs> Sam would love to be here because he pointed out that every time that Tammy missed today, it looked like, you know, he crashed like a, you know, his Ferrari or something. He just looked so distraught. And yeah. that's like, that's the kind of mentality you need in these forwards. Like You want someone that thinks he's going to get to every cross, that he thinks mm. he's going to score every ball that gets to his feet, or that, that he's going to set someone up. Yeah, you yeah. want someone that thinks he's an un, like unbeatable, and and that's such a like uh, commendable attribute of his. It's just the fact that he could come back and and he might have been uncomfortable, but he, you couldn't tell in the game, like until the very end where where he had that little small injury that caused caused a substitution. You couldn't tell that he had struggled to get off the pitch just a week ago. The guy wanted to be there. It, he was honestly, he was too unselfish today. There was a couple of counterattacks where he could have just gone by himself, taken a shot, and probably scored, but he tried getting other people involved. Like again, there is so much that he brings to his game apart from the fact that he scored what, eleven goals now in the Premier League? Like Yeah, eleven and fourteen. I'm pretty sure that he's up there in terms of assists too. Like I it, it wouldn't shock me if he's top three for us right now but 
all of that, even when he wasn't getting the ball, he's just being a nuisance. And that's part mm-hmm. of being a forward. You're not going to get 130 touches like someone like Kovacic or Jorginho are going to get. But when, but you got to do that work to let the other people do their job. And I Three feel like assists, that was by missed. the way. He's, he's, yeah. tied, he's tied with Willian and Cho. They're all on three assists. But, again, the, the things that he was doing were without the ball, making runs. There was a, there was a play or a, a buildup where Willian was dribbling with speed, and Tammy made an off-center run. Like He is in the middle, can probably stay central, much like what Giroud did, but instead he runs to the right to open up space in the middle. He actually got the ball and almost scored from it. But those mm-hmm. are the kind of runs where you don't even expect to get the ball. But by making that run, someone like Mount, someone like Pulisic gets a ball in behind, and if Willian puts his head up and finds them, that's an easy goal. And, and that's the kind of thing that you need a forward to do in these kind of high-intensity, what, what do you call it, Zach, rock and roll, whatever, like super yeah. high-speed offenses because you need to create a space by leaving your current space. And, and again, that was missing so badly in West Ham. Like I, would, I wish that we had – you know, video so that I could put up a like the heat map of what Giroud's spacing was versus what Tammy's is during a game because it, it's night and day. It, it really is. Yeah, I mean the the thing with Tammy that's probably the most impressive is like you said he has that sort of arrogance that a top striker needs to have to be a top striker. He 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 genuinely thinks that he can get to every ball that gets played within a 10-foot radius of him. And I love that. I love every single minute of it. And that's the same thing I love about Mason Mount as well. I, Mason Mount might not be as an, as emotional of a footballer as Tammy is. I think Tammy rides really he, – he, he relies on his emotions heavily, heavily. Um, but when you look at a guy like Mason Mount, for example, who's a little bit more calm but still gives you that maximum effort and still has that same sort of mentality where I'm going to – I'm going to do absolutely everything I could and not make any excuses for myself. I'm going to get to every single ball if I can. If it comes near me, I'm getting a foot on it. And I think Tammy has that has that type of mentality. And we haven't seen that since Diego Costa. We right. haven't seen that type of arrogance where if he doesn't get the ball played to him in a good position, he's going to get frustrated. He'll have a go at his teammates. And it, and, it, and it'll be healthy. I'm not saying he's going to go cuss someone out and, and, and cause rifts in the dressing room like Diego Co- or like Diego Costa did, which he really even didn't. He only did that with his managers, really. <laughs> but, um, but, but Tammy has that similar arrogance. I could recall a few times in the season where, you know, it would, one of our wingers like Pulisic or William would have the ball and they'd have the opportunity to lay it off to him and, and, and they would miss out on laying off the ball to Tammy. And Tammy would literally be pointing to his feet, like you said, looking like he just crashed his, his Ferrari. <laughs> like he, w- he would be pissed. And it's that's something that we absolutely have to have. You look at the rest of the top teams around Europe, at least the top teams that are playing like top teams. And they all have that type of striker. They have that cocky arrogance. You know, you look at teams like uh, you look at teams like Juventus, where you got Cristiano Ronaldo. That same sort of cocky arrogance. I know it's Cristiano, and I know he's always had that cocky arrogance. But guess what? It works for him, doesn't it? You look at the the, the rebirth of Lukaku playing with Lautaro Martinez. Have you actually watched Inter this season? Lautaro Martinez is a dog. He's a pit bull. And, and, and he has that same type of mentality. You look all across Europe and all these top strikers that we're all looking at thinking, oh, my God, these guys could go for 80, 90 million easy. They have the same exact mentality as Tammy, and that's what's so pleasing to me, beside the fact that he's scoring goals. So, I mean, Tammy Abraham, God, man, what a fucking footballer. Who would have thought going into this season? Tammy Abraham would be on 11 goals and 14 Premier League appearances yeah. and tied for assists in the league on our right. team. And, and class act from Tammy. He scores his goal, doesn't, doesn't celebrate. celebrate. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, Aston Villa, his season with Aston Villa is the reason he, where he is in the squad now. So that was nice yeah. to see. He joined that. in January and became the top scorer by <laughs> yeah. the end of the season. And helped him get promoted. It's one of those things where, like, it's nice to see that even as a big emotional player, he kind of – knew better than to kind of pr- push the wrong button but, but that's the um, thing his his emotion his emotion doesn't consume him 
right? I, he he relies on his emotion to take him through games, but he never lets it get out of control. You never see him taking a silly whack at a player or committing a silly foul. Yeah. Or taking That's a ridiculous or, or an obnoxious shot from 35 out. You know, he, he he's very well measured. He has a good head on his shoulders. And I think he's actually like a proper footballer. He's not just a poacher. He's not to, a one-dimensional striker. To transition into someone that whose emotions almost got the best of him this game, Mason Mount got a goal. And what a goal, dude. What a goal. Yeah. That was such a nice team goal. Just the cross from William, chest down, first-time volley. But if it wasn't for that goal, I would not be speaking about Mason Mount today. And I know West Ham, I wasn't, like, fond of him. But in this match, man, you were talking about how in the weekend it's not that he didn't create or that he didn't do certain things. He had every chance to have gotten a goal earlier or an assist, and he was just not making the right decisions today. So I'm glad he got his goal because I feel like he had some sort of pressure that he hadn't scored, I think, since, like, September or something. And it it's just like, let's you got your goal, go back to like being a team player because there was early in the game he got a header, went straight to the keeper. There was a specific buildup where he won the ball or got played through early, had tons of space, but he also had the easiest diagonal pass to Polisic for Polisic to have a one on one. He not didn't even look up once. There was another time where he got the ball with space around the top of the box and he skied the like he just skied it and all I could think about earlier in the game is like man something like something's up in his head because again I don't think Mount is a bad player I think he's got great skills I think his potential is really high like I think that he just has to grow up as a player because all I could think about was Loftus-Cheek takes that shot and puts it side foot and chooses placement over power here while Mount was just trying to put everything top bins 70 miles per hour it just felt like he was just hitting the ball angry and and not really thinking about where do I need to put the ball and so I'm glad he got his goal because I think this is now going to be a turn like kind of turn the page kind of moment and go back to the basics Uh, again I don't think that he's as bad as everyone online thinks he is but he's just a young player He's just a young player, yeah, and unlike 20. Tammy, unlike Tammy, he can't just kind of wipe it off. Like I think but, it stays with him. Because- but you look, you look at Tammy though. I mean, he's had two years, prior, three years of football in England. He played with Swansea and had two years in a championship. So he he's already, and he's twenty two. So he has yeah. more experience in that sense. And that's what I was saying about Mount earlier, where Tammy's very emotional. Mason Mount's very much so in his head. And, and like right. you said, I think it's a mental thing too with him. Right, and and that's why that's why I think the goal is going to be so big. And I'm glad mm-hmm. he got it. I'm glad it was the kind of goal that it was because that just makes you just well puts you over the moon. But yeah, I, it it was it was kind of like get his chip off his shoulder. I think that we'll see a much more composed mount in the next couple of matches. Mm-hmm. But um, I want to go to talk about the center back partnership because my God. So Maury is not in the field, and now the two times Christensen has played in the past 10 days or so, something just isn't clicking there. Uh, am, I, am I overreacting, or, or is everybody – like, are you seeing this too? The, the Zuma-Christensen partnership is not – something's missing there. Spacing is missing. They are both on completely different planets when it comes to spacing. I mean, I was I was watching them throughout the West Ham match, and um, um, jog my memory the the uh, the Champions League match when they, that the they started together as well. Yeah, their spacing was completely off, and they're they're always you know I, when I coach my little kids, I, I have this reference that where I tell them imagine a rope is tied around your waist and it's only about ten yards long, you can't get further apart than ten yards as a center back pairing. And there, and you can one person could move up, one person could drop, one person could go wide, one person could come more narrow. But you have to be within ten yards of each other. Tammy Abraham and and Kurt Zuma, for that for their goal today, they must have been at least twenty five yards apart because there was enough green grass in there for Conte to go. Oh shit, maybe I should pick that space up. And I know that's why we have Conte, but 
the spacing for me is just completely all off. Now, Zuma's been absolutely unplayable. Like, like you can't drop him. The, the, the form he's in, the way he's been playing, he's earned his stripes in this squad. I think for the rest of the season, if you want me to be frankly, if you if you want me to be frank. Um, but Christensen is a, is is a question mark here. Brilliant footballer. I don't think anyone's gonna gonna argue that. Tons of potential still, even at his age. But it's starting to get to the point where maybe we should look at how much value we can get for him. You know, is he really going to be our center back moving forward? Because you got Rudiger coming back, who's absolutely brilliant. He's our best center back. So when Rudiger comes back, I'm expecting him to get more playing time. Christensen's already struggling to see minutes. Now, when Rudiger comes back, it's going to get worse. Kurt Zuma needs to be needs to start every one one out of every two matches and the same goes for Tamori. So you're just thinking at this point okay it's going to be like a three man center back rotation which is completely healthy and then Christensen will step in every now and then to fill in. But he's not going to be okay with that. We know his dad's very outspoken about him not getting any playing time. I mean in, in years past he's there's always been flirtation with other clubs. You know, going back to ta- Germany and such, yeah. Exactly. And, and and we talked about Zuma's value a couple pods ago and we said, okay, maybe we could get 30, 40 million for Zuma. Well, how much could we get for Christensen? Because yeah. he's still highly sought after. If we could get 50, 60 million for Christensen, we turn around, we sell him. We still have the depth within within that within that position specifically. That's probably our deepest position. We literally have four first choice center backs and Ethan Ampadu out on loan and Gehi coming through the ranks. It, we're ridiculously stacked. But and, have- and honestly, we could probably do with like a legit established world class center back. So yeah, it, it's it's insane. The mm-hmm. I, I wanted to put my kind of tinfoil hat here for a second because mm-hmm. you, you talked about Christensen struggling for minutes. He was injured for a while. And mm-hmm. the moment he was up back for selection, he went and started a Champions League match against Valencia. Got the break on the weekend because that game was insane and, and draining. But then he starts here again. And Tomori is perfectly healthy and has been in unbelievable form this whole time. So here's my conspiracy. Played a lot of matches, though, with Tomori. Well, and I get it. Rotation is probably it. But, again, I'm putting my tinfoil hat here. This January, Christensen signed a new deal. And around that time, Christensen was not starting for Sarri. It was Luis and Rudiger was the first-choice center backs. Christensen had kind of been outed at this point. But around the time he signed his contract, it was when the, the sorry hate slash sorry out campaign was at its strongest. And I specifically remember thinking, oh, that's kind of nice. We got Christensen to sign. Odd. You know, he hasn't played with much. You mentioned the fact that his dad's usually outspoken. And the quotes coming out of it was, I know that my future is here with Chelsea. This is the best move for my career. Like, all positive, all talking about how he's going to grow and how he's going to play for Chelsea and blah, 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 blah. All I can think about is that at that point, Chelsea must have had some sort of clause in his contract that included a number of appearances. And you're going to – I know a lot of people are going to be like, well, how how is that even possible? Like, you don't don't do that in contracts. Like, managers choose – But here's the thing. Barcelona a few – Their team. Who everyone's like, oh, Thiago should be playing more. But this was also at the times that Iniesta, Xavi, I believe Fabregas was on the team at that point. Obviously, Busquets. They're loaded in midfield. But the way that clause worked was if Thiago doesn't play X amount of minutes or X amount of games by the time the season ends, his release clause drops from something, I believe it was something along the lines of 70, 80 mil, which was a lot at the time, to something as low as 15 mil. And what happened that summer? He went to Bayern Munich. I yeah. think something along those lines have to be going on here because, again, we've heard Frank say that it comes to how you practice, your current form, what you're doing for me now. And I find it so hard to believe that a player coming off an injury, especially the way that Rudiger's injury has been handled recently and how we're being extra careful, can just waltz right back into a Champions League match and then a Premier League match the week later. Two starts in seven days for a guy that had been out for at least a month. 
when, again, Rudiger took a while. Conte was even rested for a while. Uh, Cho got a couple of breaks whenever he had a small injury. Like, again, I'm definitely putting my tinfoil hat here and going off the rocker, but I, I think there's something behind the scenes here with the, the Christians and choice, because again, I find it so hard to believe that the Zuma Tomori partnership can just be tossed aside. I know December has a lot of games. I hope it's just rotation, but you're right. So Rudiger is going to come back and it's going to be Rudiger Tomori Zuma, unless Christensen can, can find a way to, to connect with these other center backs because uh, something's off in communication. There's something's off in, in the way that he coexists with the other center backs right now. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm kind of the same way. Like, I know, I know, Christensen has that class. I, I, I've been, I've been a fan of his from day one, but it, it, it's just kind of gotten to the point where it's clear that Frank doesn't favor him. It's not that he's a bad player, but Frank doesn't favor him. He doesn't mesh well with Zuma, and we really haven't seen him much with Tomori as of yet, which I think is interesting. I think I think maybe he's looking at Tomori as too inexperienced to jump in next to a center back that's not necessarily in great form at the moment. But it's something to look forward to as the season goes on. I mean, I mean who, who really knows what is happening in training? Who really knows what Christensen's contract is like? I mean, your, your conspiracy theory makes sense. It, it It's something that could have been you a, a, a strategy that could have been used by Chelsea to keep him at the club. I mean, we know how his dad is, right? He talks every single summer about his son. So, but I, I do want to move on um, yep. really quick to uh, to just kind of wrap up the pod. Let's talk about Kepa. Um, so, we did question his not only his leadership ability, but his strength, right, in terms of his shot stopping. We see a lot of shots, a lot of shots, a lot of shots go through his hands. But he seemed to save our bacon quite a lot, especially against West Ham, where he kept us in a match where we probably should have conceded more than one. Um, what are we making of him at this point? I mean, do we see some sort of improvement? It does, to me at least, look like he's a little unsure of himself when the ball's at his feet. He doesn't look as comfortable on the ball because he hasn't had a few rickets lately, but I think the shot stopping has been a lot better. Oh, definitely. I mean, like you said, these past two games, Kepa has been a very important part of why we, for one, with West Ham, we're still in it so late. And then today with Aston Villa, it was 2-1. I still don't know how we kept it only to 2-1, but later, you know, when you're playing 2-1, you're attacking, you're attacking, you're attacking, it only takes one chance for the other team to come back. And there was a, a couple saves late where he he secured the ball, punched it away safely. Just they're not routine saves, and and keepers can can miss mess those up. So you know, just as a week ago we were saying it was all on Kepa and blah blah blah, just here he is saving us. And just like we find it easy to talk about players' mistakes, we also have to pat pat them in the back when they do something right. And yeah, I mean, I thought Kepa had a great game. I also know that, you know, some of the goals that went in recently, there was a deflection, one nutmegged one of our defenders. I mean, yeah, the, yeah. the Valencia goal, it like, it hit the players. He kicked it with his left foot and then it hit his right foot and ricocheted. So the own, the same player that scored was the one that created a ricochet in the goal. So it's been these weird freak accidents. A lot of the goals that... Kepa lets in are inside his own box to where a lot of keepers probably won't be stopping those either. So there, there's usually more to it. Again, there yeah. are times where it's definitely on Kepa. And like you said, him not being sure on, on the passing back and, and teams maybe trying to, to get on those. It happened almost against City. Uh, but I think that I think Kepa is still an above average goalkeeper. He's not yeah. maybe top five in the world, but he's still a keeper that you can have on your team and win trophies with. I mean, we, we yeah. won the Europa League last season. I mean, I don't think there's a better penalty stopper than him right now. But but he obviously needs to just make sure he, he – the one thing he needs to improve is just presence in the box yeah. when it comes to a crowded box. And De Gea struggled with that early in his Premier League career. So it might be I a Spanish goalkeeper thing yeah. because that's something that's something that a lot of Spanish goalkeepers struggled with. I know Casillas came under fire when he first started 
aging at Madrid, a lot of the criticism was, oh man, he's not, he, he, he can't get up anymore. He, he can't control the box when the ball goes out wide and crosses get played in. So maybe it's a Spanish goalkeeper thing. I'm seeing a big improvement in Kepa's confidence. I think his reflexes are phenomenal. Like you said, if there's a quick snapshot from outside the box, he's very good at getting himself into a position to give him a chance to make a great save. And that's encouraging. It's my issue with him still is that is that command in his own 18 and in a six. But I think that's going to come with time now. Andres, I mean, we got we, we got Everton at the weekend. Good old Everton, 18th place Everton, 14 points in 15 matches Everton. Um, Marco Silva probably not going to be the manager by the time uh, people start listening to this podcast because hopefully we get him for one more game because new manager syndrome always comes against Chelsea. So new manager hopefully. syndrome with a squad that is very very good on paper. Yeah, it's a good. It's it's a lot better than 18th place. I'll I'll mm-hmm. tell you that much. Mm-hmm. And it's a lot better than West Ham and Villa if you're looking at the squad. But um, he hasn't been sacked as of yet. We're recording on a Wednesday night. Um, but, but but what are you thinking going into this game? I mean, obviously it's going to be a difficult one because Everton's never an easy match for us. Um, unless you're unless we have Antonio Conte on the sidelines, we could smack him five nil. But um, there's going to be a it, it's going to be a difficult game. I'm expecting him to be up for it. So yeah, we're, we're going to be traveling. Oh so, uh, yeah. Uh, they play today at Anfield, which is around the corner, so they're not even traveling back home. They're they're already home. Yeah. Um, I think that the win at Aston Villa is going to be huge for the, for the morale of the team, especially after having lost two games on the bounce of the Premier League. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Tammy's healthy again. Hopefully he can play on the weekend. If not, we should see Mishi over Giroud. I thought Mishi looked decent when he came on today. Mm-hmm. Uh, We'll probably see Pulisic come off the bench instead of start. He's been starting a lot of matches, and he's been the one that hasn't gotten a break just yet. So I think Cho will get back on the side. Uh, I think I, I think it's I think it'd be a smart move to start Cho in this match. It's kind of weird to say it, but when you start at home, it's a lot different than starting on the road. When you start at home, there's expectations, there's people moaning and groaning around you. But when you start on the road, there's Really, nobody yelling at you unless it's either, and it's sad that I'm saying this, but it's either the color of your skin or the way you look, right? Like it's just personal jabs, not you know, right. moaning and groaning from misplaced passes. So this might be a good match for Cho to get some confidence in. Yeah, I, I agree. I think Jorginho will be fresh. He only played a minute today, so much needed there. Um, in terms of the back line, it's so hard not to play Reese James again. It's so hard. Got to play him uh, until he. He got to play him until he has to be set. It's one point. of the. It, it's tough. It's tough to figure out what he'll do there because you could argue that maybe, you know, Aspie is is a good one on one defender and and you rotate and you put Emerson back on the left. It's just I, I really don't know what he's gonna do there. I hope it's Reese and Aspie again. Zuma, like we said, picks himself. Uh, Lampard did say that Rudiger is probably still a week to ten days out, so. I don't see him playing any of the the more high caliber December games. I can see him playing, you know, the lower table sides whenever those come up soon. But yeah, I, I fully expect us to get a victory. I, that should be the expectation going in. I know that right now every keeper seems to play a ten ten. Recently, we had it with Tom Heaton. We had it with. The debutante guy for West Ham who's like 33 years old gets his first start and gets a clean sheet against us. It's freaking ridiculous. But I I, I think Everton right now is just – whatever is going on there is, is weird. Something's not working. Yeah. Leaky at the back. I mean, Liverpool's B team because it was their B team today. It was The, the front three to start was Origi, uh, Lalana. Shakiri, Mane was there, but Mane only scored one goal, I believe. They gave up four goals at half. We're not going to pull in, pull in to town with a complete B team. So I expect us to, to get some goals, and and Give just kind of two nothing. I think there we can we get a clean sheet. I think two nothing. I hope that Cho gets involved somehow. I don't care who scores. I just want to. Get, I just want us to score the chances we should be scoring. Today, today we could have the game was two to one, but it could have been a lot bigger 
there of a gap between us and Aston Villa. And and these teams, it's just you can't give them hope. If it's if we're in the 80th minute and we're only up one goal, all those teams think is I just need one chance. I just need one chance. Yep. We can't give them that. Like that's something that Chelsea has been so bad about in recent history. It's just kill these games off early. If we can get that two goal lead and then the rest of the game we we try and we don't score, that's fine. But just these scoring and then getting scored on in the next 10 minutes, that, that just can't happen every week. That, it, it simply should not be happening still. So yeah. I hope it's a 2-0 victory. Get another clean sheet. Keppa deserves it with his recent performances. Yeah, let's get a victory at at uh, Goodison and, and kind of keep up with the hot teams like City, Leicester, and, and Liverpool. Yeah, no, I agree. I'm gonna go two 0 Chelsea at at, uh, at Goodison Park. Um, hopefully, Marco Silva is still their manager. That's all I'm gonna say. I think I think if he gets a sack, which he will, we'll probably wake up tomorrow morning and he'll be sacked. But um, Dave, if he does, Moyes will be back and and he'll yeah. sign Fellaini and and uh, Yelikic or whatever. And that That's one blonde the... guy whose name Yelovich. I always forget. There's that blonde guy that left for Norwich at one point. Oh, he scored a hat trick against Chelsea. us. What was his Good name? God. Oh God. Oh, that was one of the that was miserable. Miserable. Um but yeah, uh anyways, I mean guys, that brings us to the end of the pod. Um it was Andres, always a pleasure. Happy belated birthday again, my friend. Appreciate it, appreciate uh, it. Naismith. Really, uh, Stephen Naismith. Sorry, there we go. Stephen Naismith. Stephen Naismith. God, the worst fucking hat trick I've ever had to witness. Um, but anyways, uh, end of the pod. Make sure you guys catch our show. Um, I know we're, we apologize for recording late, but when we have two games in a week, we really don't want to skip out on reviewing a match. So that's why we've been doing these pods a little bit late. Uh, make sure you follow us on Twitter at Romans Empire Pod. Uh, you could also uh, email us RomansEmpirePod at gmail.com. Um, and until next week, we'll keep the blue flag flying high.